We're going to wrap up our three-week sermon series this morning on um, the the Disciple One Challenge. Those of you who've been with us for these three weeks, you understand what we've been doing, talking about uh, 2016 and this challenge that we have to fulfill part of the Great Commission, which is to go make disciples of all nations. And so... I'm going to ask that uh, you bear with me this last week. This is the, uh, the go week. Um, remember week one, we talked about why, why we should make disciples. Um, and I think it was pretty evident from, uh, from Scripture that it's, um, it's God's desire for his church to do that work. I pray that we are all willing participants in his call to, to make disciples of all nations. Um, and then last week we talked about the posture of a disciple, um, how we can position ourselves through humility and just a, a commitment and attentiveness um, to, to make disciples. And then this third, this third and final week is the practical stuff of how we can make disciples in Jesus' name. Um, so, and, and really, it's to, um, to get started with that. Um, the, the goal here is that as we... Take this challenge for those who choose to take it, right? So you're, you're not going to have to take it, but we hope that you do. And for those who choose to take the Discipleship One Challenge, our goal, our desire for the year is that we would check in throughout the year uh, with the church at large and say, how's it going? Um, what's working well? What's not working well? And, and if you want to get up and share in front of the church about that, that would be awesome. But if you don't, um, we, can, we would love to hear it anyway. We can share with the church what's going on. So we just think it's important to be communicating um, because ultimately... If we aren't um, making disciples, we aren't doing what God has called us to do. Uh, so if you disagree with that, I'd love to talk to you about it. But uh, that's the conviction we have from Scripture. Um, I'm going to open, uh, as we always do, with prayer. And then we're going to get into today's text and uh, the, teaching, the, the final teaching in the series. Uh, pray with me one more time. Father God, we thank you for this di- time and this day. We pray, Lord, that... Um, uh, you would be greatly honored through the right preaching of your word. Uh, we pray that we would be both convicted and encouraged by it, that we would um, allow your holy word to do its work in our lives, to transform us, uh, to change us. And we, and we acknowledge, Father, that we are sinners, and that's not because we're proud of our sin. We actually hate our sin, and we are stuck in our sin. And yet your word transforms our minds and therefore our lives. We pray, Father, that that would happen today by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would um, speak into each of our hearts and that we would learn from you. I do pray, Father, that if they're my words and my ideas, they would be put aside, that it's because it's, it's not about me, Lord. You know this. It's about you and about your holiness and your people and your redemption in this world. And so, Father God, today as we enter in that time and space, we ask for you to be present with us. Do the work that only you can do for your glory and for our good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this, in this third week, I was really torn about, you know, uh, how to enter in and what, what to focus on. And um, so as we go through, we're going to talk about a couple of um, options, ways we can look at what we're talking about. But we want to do two, I want to do two specific things this morning. I want to give you the very practical, simple tools of discipleship. And this is all rooted in Scripture, so I'm not making this up. We're going to see a model in Scripture this morning with the, the, the simple, uh, the two simple kind of the tools, but then also the methods or the ways in which disciple making can happen among us. And so that's the goal for this morning is to do that. The, the core text that we have today is from the book of Acts, and this is going to be Acts... Uh, Chapter, um, 
It's on the screen. There, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. So Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. And we're going to read that together now. This is what the word says. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all treasury, uh, all the treasury of Can- Candace, <laughs> queen of Ethiop- Ethiopians. Um, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. When Philip ran, oh wait, then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Verse 34. The eunuch then asked Philip, tell me, please, who is, this, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went away rejoicing. It's the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Yeah. Right? I mean, what an awesome, powerful story about the, the opportunity one disciple, listen to me, the opportunity that one obedient disciple has to make in the world, in the kingdom. What a beautiful, beautiful story. A little bit of backstory on Philip, and I, there's a few Philips in Scripture, but I want to be very clear that this Philip is rooted in Acts 6, okay? And, and in Acts 6, you'll remember, there were the, um, the, the Paul and the leaders of the church, the apostles, right? They had been going about preaching the word and praying, and there was this controversy that broke about who should help with the tables. I mean, not who should, but how should it be done, and people were being ignored and neglected. And to remedy that, they prayed, and they said, pick from among yourselves. Now listen to the word. They said, pick from among yourselves um, men who are worthy, people who are worthy, to serve in this way, and you know that, that, that they were appointed then. And these appointments we call deacons now, servant leaders in the church, in the ecclesia, the church of God. And so uh, they, Philip was one of those. The other, by the way, the, the one that really is focused on Acts 6 is Stephen, right? So he's the one that's really focused on, but then, but then Philip's in the crowd. So that's where Philip gets his, his root from. One thing I really thought was interesting this week as I was studying, because last week we talked about the need for benevolent love, for brotherly love, philos, in disciple-making, that we have to be willing to bear one another's burdens, 
right? That's one of the calls of disciples is to bear the burden of a brother or sister, which is why we think it's a big deal to, to disciple with someone so you can bear one of those burdens in a real way. The name Philip has been given actually means a brotherly horse, which is kind of funny, right? But it's philos. The root of his name is brotherly, like philos, brotherly love, and a horse. And I thought, what a crazy idea. What a crazy name for a, a child to have, to be, to be Philip. It kind of sounds funny, really, right? The friendly horse. But then I start thinking, well, well, what can you do, right? Be co-bearers. Work together. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to walk through and I want to talk about um, these four things that I found in here. There's more. I mean, if you ever study the Bible, there's so much stuff in here. So this isn't exhaustive. But I want to talk about these four um, strategies or tools that we can use to make disciples, to obey Jesus' commands of making disciples of all nations. And the first is this, prayer. Now you're going to go, well, I know it, right? But I want to walk through, I want you to see all the ways in this text that, that the Lord was moving. And, and, and we talked about that. If, if God don't build the house, it's worthless, like it has no value. And we can do that. So we want to root it all in prayer, or the strategy I would say is God's presence. We often see prayer as something that we, we do, but what prayer truly is, it's about continuing and maintaining a relationship with the God who made us. This is, this is why, um, how do I say, this is why ritualized prayer is, can be a blessing, but also very dangerous. A ritualized prayer is only valuable if it causes us to enter into relationship with the Lord. But sometimes when we memorize a prayer, we just say it. We don't even think about it. We just say it. And it doesn't actually draw us closer to him, but instead it keeps him at a distance. Do you understand what I'm saying? One of the things, by the way, if you want to, can you imagine if, if you were, maybe you're in a significant relationship, maybe you have a best friend or you have a child or a, a parent and, and you love them. Can you imagine if every time you talked to that person, every time you used the same words, how would that relationship really work, do you think? If you constantly said the same thing. Do you know what I'm saying, right? So it's not about that. It's not about here's the words I owe you, spouse, or here's the words I owe you, child, or here's the words I owe you, parent, here's the words I owe you, friend. It's, it's like... You really want to know, how are you doing? What's going on with you? And if you can't see it, I hope you're looking at the scripture because all throughout this, there's a living, active, breathing, real relationship that Philip has with his Lord and Master, the, the, the divine creator of the universe. Look at verse 26 with me. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, you see that? That's what kicks all this off for Philip, is it? An angel appears and says something to Philip in verse 26. In verse 27, the Ethiopian had come to Jerusalem for what? To worship. That means, and you know, we caught the Ethiopian on the way home from worship, right? But you know, he drove that chariot there to Jerusalem to worship the true God. So there's this this, um, engagement, there's this listening, this seeking after God's presence, gone to Jerusalem to worship. In verse 29, it says what? The Spirit then said to Philip, I want you to see that, that just the angel showing up and saying, go down, and it went to a desert place, right? But then in verse 29, um, the Spirit told Philip, now, now go to that chariot. There was this constant, this constant movement, direction, you understand, this constant, you can, you know, you can call that um, prayer that Philip is talking and listening to the Lord as he goes through his life. 
You can call that God's presence, his sovereign, um, you know, intervention or interaction in the world, but it's clearly a dynamic relationship, not a dead static thing, which is, by the way, a danger for all of us, man. I'm, I'm telling you, too many of us think that we're saved because one time we agreed to some doctrine or theology. That's not what saves us. What saves us is this active, real, living, breathing relationship with the God who made us, and it's available to all of us, like Philip. Look at me. Look with me at um, verse. Um, I think it's twenty-nine again. Um, oh no, thirty-nine. Yeah, the Spirit called Philip away in verse thirty-nine. I just want to look at it real quick here. Um, yeah, the Spirit suddenly took Philip away. I mean, so it wasn't just the beginning of the relationship that was kind of soaked in this presence of God thing, but it was also the end, like when he was done. The Lord moved him on, which we've talked about at Family Bible Church so much. God is saturating this relationship with his presence, and Philip and the Ethiopian recognize it in their own ways. Um, Philip was in this ongoing, continuous conversation and relationship with God that you and I should be on if we believe that Jesus is our Savior, now listen to me, and our Lord. You see, if we think he's our Savior only, well, then he saved us and we're done and we can just hang out until it's all over, wherever that comes, right? But if he's our Savior and our Lord, we have to know his voice. We have to be listening to his commands. We have to follow his leading. The way we can do that is in prayer. The funny thing about these things is these are the things that create success in anything we're trying to do as a church, by the way. And prayer should saturate everything that we're doing in our lives. And then, like I said a minute ago, the Ethiopian himself, we talked about last week, a position of humility, right? The Ethiopian was seeking to learn. He was willing to learn. And when you hear that he was in charge of all the treasures of the queen, you know he had the right to be prideful, but he was eager to learn together. One thing I want to disambiguate for a minute, and then we're going to move on to the next point, and here it is. It's easy to read this passage as if Philip has all the wisdom. As a matter of fact, the Bible itself calls Philip the evangelist, right? Which is the euangelion, the bearer of good news, you see. And so he gets labeled in that way. But it's easy to see Philip as the one who brings this knowledge to the poor Ethiopian who had no hope, and he delivers it, and he baptizes, and he's whisked away on his you know, journey with Jesus as if he has all the power. But as I read this, I cannot help but believe as a fellow human being and a fellow sinner redeemed by grace, just like Philip, that in Philip's obedience, in his learning to be obedient and to take risk and to follow the Lord and to to listen to his voice, that Philip learns something. How would you not have gone through this because it's easy to see the Ethiopian as a learner and Philip as the teacher, but that's, that's one dimension of their relationship. But ultimately, Philip is learning from the Lord. Wow, this is what obedience looks like. And whenever Luke writes this great work of Luke and Acts, he records this story about this one disciple who went out and believed the Lord and, and shared the good news wherever he went. One disciple making a difference. Here we go. The second thing then, tool and also a method that we can use is, um, let's see, Scripture, yeah, Scripture, the Bible, uh, or the methodology is the Word of God, the Word of God. I can't tell you how many people want to hear from the Lord, 
They say, oh, I'm just praying that the Lord would answer me. I'm just praying that he would give me some wisdom. I'm praying that he would give me some insight. But they won't open a Bible to see what the Lord has said. I talked about this before, and we're probably going to, you know, if the Lord would have it, we'll probably spend some time here one day. But Jesus, the one that we claim to be our Savior and our Lord and Master himself, referred to Scripture when, when explaining why he did what he did. He didn't make it up as he went. Have you not read? Does it not say? Do you not know? Integrating the scripture is a tool that is effective in disciple making. And these are going to become the pillars of what we're talking about when we talk about the disciple one challenge. Prayer and the word of God. In verse 28, just to go through here, it says in verse 28 what? The eunuch was sitting on his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So here he's coming back from worship, and he's engaged in this process of reading the scriptures. Um, in verse 32, the eunuch was reading this particular passage, and it goes on. He was like a sheep to, led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before a shear is silent. He did not open his mouth. He's going on, and he's engaged. You see, he's asking deep questions. He's troubled by the text of the prophet. Who's the prophet talking about? This isn't a passive, well, I read it. I got my devotion done for the day. I can move on with my life. He really wants to know. He's fully engaged with the word of God. By the way, have you ever tried to read, like, in a vehicle? I don't know what kind of chariot the dude was in, but um, I can read on a bus. Like, if you're read on a bus, I can read on a bus. Not, I can't really read on a bus with, like, the seats that go, I don't know why. That makes me sick. But the buses, they have like the kind of the community seating. Without, I can read on that kind of a bus. I can kind of read when I'm not looking. I think it's something to do with the peripheral. But can you imagine? I can't read in a car. Can anybody read in a car? You can, yeah? God bless you. I can't read in a car, you know? This dude's in a chariot. Like, it's got to be kind of a crazy deal to try to study while you're in a chariot being drawn by horses through the desert. Like, I just think, and the guy could say, you know what, Lord? It's been an awesome time worshiping Jerusalem, but I'll wait till I get home to Ethiopia. I'm in my den, my study, my snuffers on, you know, my coffee, and I'll spend some time. Oh, man, I love that. On his way, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. By the way, something else that has to probably be said is we think about reading the prophet Isaiah like we're reading the Bible right now, this little convenient handheld mechanism. Maybe you even have one of these convenient little handheld mechanisms that you're reading from. And you're like, well, yeah, I can read this. You know, this dude's probably got scrolls. You know, I mean, I don't know how this even works. How he's even doing this. He's like rolling them out, trying to find the place. It's all handwritten, the bumpy ride. Engaging with the word of God because it's worth it. Because it's worth it. Um, all right, verse 35. Look at what the word says. At that time, then, at that moment, Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. From that very place in Scripture, Philip began to explain the Evangelion, which is, I think, part of the problem. We'll see the uh, evangelism as, you know, we hear an evangelist, like a noun. It's a process, you see. He, he goes, well, let's look at the Isaiah together. And he began, and by the way, um, depending on your translation, uh, one of the, I think it's just a newer version of the NIV, but it says, then Philip opened his mouth and began to explain. Here in this translation, it says, um, you know, let's see. Philip began that very passage and told him the good news. I love that, that Philip was just willing 
you can almost hear the passivity in what he's saying, not in the importance of what he's saying, but in his role in saying it. You see, Philip is nothing more than an obedient disciple. He's not the smartest guy in the room. He doesn't have all the answers. He's willing to enter in with someone and to look at the word seriously and to open his mouth and allow the Lord to bring wisdom. And that's something that any of us can do no matter how old or young we are, if we know Christ, the Holy Spirit, his teaching spirit lives in us, and if we have the courage that Philip has to open our mouth over the word of God, he can speak through us, sinners though we are. I love that. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning right there, one more thing I want to say about this. As Christians, that means as little Christs, as people who have been redeemed by Jesus and have the Spirit of God living in us, um, which is a very unique claim, all Scripture points to Christ, right? I mean, you can imagine how this could have gone differently. And I know there's a thousand ways to go differently, right? But he, he could have been reading a letter. He could have been reading something written just in the last five years. I have this tendency to really not like older writings. Like, oh, this is in the 70s. Like, that's a long time ago. Give me a break, you know? This is... The prophet Isaiah and, and, Jesus, and uh, Philip starts there and explains Jesus from the prophet Isaiah, which should give us some courage. Don't be afraid to start anywhere in Scripture and look for Jesus' marks. If he's there, he's showing us who he is. God is showing us who he is. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Here's the third time, time. Another way, I would, this is the tool. The tool is time, what you can set aside so you can, you can pray. That's a practical thing you can do. You can bring the Bible into the conversation. I don't mean like bring out your Bible like, oh, look how. I mean to really honestly engage and then to truly invest your time in another person that wants to become a better believer, a better follower of Jesus. And I mean a disciple, a learner. We can choose to make that investment or... Another way to say it is to take advantage of the opportunity that God's presenting to us that we have. Again, let's go back through and look one more time here. Verse 27, so he went. So Philip went, right? There's this choice he makes to take advantage of the opportunity. So he arose and went in verse 27. Um, I already mentioned this earlier, but... The Ethiopian had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He was investing time, his life, in this journey of following Jesus, or following God, who he's going to learn is Jesus. In verse 30, man, I love this. Let's read 29. The Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip, Philip ran to the chariot. Like, he had to catch up to this thing. He had to be obedient in the moment. There was an opportunity that God was giving him. He had to get there to engage. So Philip ran. I, I, I love that. And by the way, let's not miss it. He ran, and then he heard. I want you to see this. He's still outside the chariot. He's running. He's expecting something. And then he listens as the guy is reading the prophet Isaiah, and then he asks a question. He engages the Ethiopian. All in verse 30. You see it? Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading right now? He knew this was the moment. This was what he had been called to the desert to do. Beautiful, beautiful picture of obedience. So he's given the time, and then he took advantage of the opportunity. Um, 
Then, let's not miss it, because I want to say, well, it's all about Philip, right? The Ethiopian invited him to come up and sit, right? He could have just kept driving. He said, you know what this is about? Get in here. I want to know what this is about. Do you see the model we're talking about, disciple one? Now you got two dudes in a chariot reading scripture, right? That's what happened. That's what God did. Show me what this means. Teach me what these, who, who, is, who is this scripture talking about? Who's the prophet talking about? So the Ethiopian invites him to come up and sit with them. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road. So we hear this story, but the whole time they're going somewhere. The whole time Philip is, is now on this new journey with this Ethiopian eunuch toward Ethiopia while he explained the gospel from the prophet Isaiah, while he began to um, impart or share what he came to know about God. I hope you see that as they went along the road. You see, we have this benefit of reading these sentences all bumped together, but this takes time. This takes a journey. This takes him getting in the chariot and riding with the guy for a while, you know, and this takes a guy inviting someone into his chariot to ride with me for a while. Explain this to me. I really want to know. And at that point, Philip opens his mouth, and the Lord begins to speak. They learn more. Have you ever heard the saying, um, the best way to learn is to teach? You know, that's a funny thing, isn't it? You could be, there could be things you think you know for years, and then the first time you sit down and actually tell someone or share someone, you're like, oh, wow, I, I get that now. I didn't even get it. And with the disciple one idea, with Jesus teaching and all of us learning, we all get to be part of that discovery of seeing, and the aha moment, the, the Eurisco moment. All right. So when they're going on the road in verse 36, verse 38, they both went down the water together. I know the eunuch stopped the chariot. Whoa. But then they both got out and climbed down. And at that point, Philip could have said, you know what, dude? I've already explained this to you. You know the gospel. Praise the Lord. I'm out of here. But he goes down into the water. And don't miss it. The disciple baptizes the disciple. Do you see that? The disciple that was appointed by the church um, uh, in Jerusalem, right, um, baptizes a fellow disciple. I love that. He keeps walking with them. Well, this is where the professionals take over. No, what? No. You know the Lord? What's to prevent me? By the way, Chris mentioned um, February 21st. Um, Baptism, we, we don't have a way to baptize here at the middle school on Sunday morning. We would love to do that here, but we can't do it in this space. Um, so we're going to rent the rec center out. We're going to have a whole place to ourselves. It's going to be awesome. Bring your friends and family out. But, and we have people who have been stepping up to be baptized, which is so cool. I'm so excited about it. But, man, I think the question that the Ethiopian eunuch asks should be asked by all of us. If I know Jesus, if I know the gospel of Jesus Christ, what's preventing me from being baptized? Because I, I believe that, there, that the, the enemy of God loves to stop us in our obedience to Christ. I believe the enemy would have loved that moment to say, this has been great and all, but you know what, eunuch, you stay in your chariot, Philip, you go on about your business and just don't take, don't do anything else. But the spirit of the Lord in him says, what's to stop me from being baptized? If you read the book of Acts, this happens over and over again. Who, who can prevent this? Why shouldn't I? I believe that's a worthy question to ask if you've never been baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ. What's stopping me from being baptized in his name? 
So there it was. They were baptized. He was baptized. And then um, this is the last thing I want to say on this point, and then we're going to wrap up. Huh. I, so this is a confessional thing, right? But I, be, I think that too many of us um, sit back in our faith lives passively and believe that somehow through magic or through, you know, just whatever, like we're going to magically become disciples. Like it's going to magically, we're going to magically grow in our faith. Like it's just going to happen. And what we see over and over and we see it here is that um, Philip and the Ethiopian are both intentionally engaged in this process of knowing God, right? I don't think there's any other place in our lives we would sit back with our hands up and say, transform me, do great stuff, you know, make things I want to be, but not get, not go, not do something with the Lord, not listen, not pray. We, we just expect something to magically happen. Matter of fact, I've shared this before, but in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, there's a really scary verse that says, um, many will say to me on that day, uh, did we not do great things in your name? And listen to this, right? Um, so it's not about activity only, but did we not do things, great things in your name? Did we not heal people in your name? Um, did we not prophesy in your name? And, and this is what Jesus said. Um, he will turn to them in that moment and say, um, behind me, get behind me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Away from you, you evildoers. I never knew you. Because if we have this revelation and we have the Spirit of God and we have been saved, how could we neglect our relationship with our Lord and how could we not want to invest what he has given us into knowing him more? We've got to be intentional about it. We've got to take risk. We've got to be obedient. All right, now here's the last thing, the fourth point. It takes everyone, right? And this... This is funny because what you see here in this text is you see um, two people in a chariot hearing the gospel and believing and being baptized. You see one image, one picture of this one engagement, this one situation, this one relationship, this one moment in time. But what's, what's amazing is if you look, and I think I have it on the screens, if you want to just look at the screens. Uh, yeah. Um, in Acts 8, verse 1, this is at the death of um, Stephen, and this is what the word says. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. That's where they were all been appointed and table waiting and all that stuff, right? These servant leaders. And everyone except the apostles were scattered throughout the area of Judea and Samaria. And then look at verse 4. Those who had been scattered throughout the area shared the word wherever they went. Your translation might say they preached the word. What it actually says is they euangelioned everywhere they went. See, I want you to see that. That it's not um, certain people. I mean, the Bible makes a point to say that um, the apostles were left in Jerusalem while the church was scattered. If there was a tendency to say, well, it was about a few people, that would have been it. Man, did you see thousands came to faith in Jerusalem? It was so cool. Peter was preaching. It was awesome, you know? So much good stuff. By the way, Paul didn't even exist yet. You know what I mean? Paul was still Saul and persecuting Christians at this point. But whenever they believed that they had a part, everyone um, was used by God. Everyone was used by God. Um, I wonder, man, that's what I feel like. I wonder if each of us, right, if we put off this kind of this... Um, 
what we think the church should be or how the church should operate or what, you know, scales of holiness, you know, holier people and less holy people and that's the Bible, but that's not me and we can kind of distance ourselves. If instead of doing that, listen to me, church, if all of us would enter in with the God who made us and saved us, you know him, right? You know his voice, don't you? It's not religion. It's not binding yourself to rules, not following laws. It's a savior who died so that we might be free and we might know him. And if you know that, and, and if you enter in that relationship, you know, why not allow God to scatter us wherever we are? Why not allow him to put us in a place of employment or a place of relationship or a school or a circumstance that we could go and minister and share with those who are there, that we can explain the good news to people who would never hear it if God hadn't scattered us to wherever we are? But instead, we go, we'll sit back. We'll just, no, well, someone else will do that because I'm saved. I want to share this quick um, video a few years ago at a conference a speaker and pastor uh, Francis Chan shared and someone shared it with me this week I believe it was the work of the Lord and I was blessed by it I'd seen it as a few years ago at his conference but I want to share with you this morning so check this out when I was a kid we used to play this game called Simon Says right most of us have played that and as you're really young because there's no app for it is Simon Says is uh, you know you just Simon Says pat your head you know so okay you know Simon said it um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, 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 you study it, you memorize it. You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. <laughs> my friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know? About it? it's, just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I'd start making disciples. By the way, it was a pastor's conference. Isn't that funny? To have to make the case that Jesus meant what he said. Isn't that amazing? The question that we're left with today is this. Will we do it? Will you and I? Believe Jesus when he says, Therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Do we believe it? Or, in the discipleship challenge, disciple one challenge, will we try? Do we believe enough to try? I want to um, pray. Um, we hope that, you, uh, if, that if you do this as a God thing, that God's leading it. Who can you walk with, right? Who can you, maybe you're already... Um, hang out with somebody on a regular basis that you could say, you want to become a better follower of Jesus? Because I want to become a better follower of Jesus. Let's learn together. Who can you enter in with? Uh, Aris Philip's name suggests, who can you bear burdens with? Who can you walk and pull with as we follow Jesus? Let me pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for uh, your call in our lives. We thank you so much that uh, you have saved us. Absolutely. That we do not bear our sin any longer. Absolutely. That we are free in you. Praise your name. 
Father God, as we continue in our freedom in you, may we use our freedom to honor you, to glorify you, to follow you, to know you. Lord, the scriptures do cut both ways. We, we get encouraged because it's accessible, but then we also hear your word of, of, of um, warning that, that we have to know you to enter in. We have to have a relationship with you. We have to talk to you. We have to have heard your voice. It's, it's not going to work any other way, Father. Would you um, bless us with that? For brothers and sisters who are here today that, that have never wrestled with that and don't believe that's true, they, they just think there's some other way, would you um, work in their lives through the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you invite them graciously into your kingdom? And, and, and Not because I'm asking, Lord, but because you're good. You do it all the time. You break through the layers of junk in our lives and you just pull us out of the trash pile and you redeem us. And it's your work, not ours. Father God, would you do that work because of your holiness today? because of your love for your people. And Lord, would you uh, continue to call us to be courageous followers of yours, obedient to your spirit, listening to your voice, helping one another become followers of yours. Would you help us to do that? I thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given us to now in this space, in this time, proclaim your good news. I pray that it would not be the end, but the beginning that we would go forth and share it and your power and your sovereignty because you're worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.